square fielder. He's gone to the dogs. Hey, folks, welcome once again to the Gone to the Dogs podcast. Steve Fielder here with you. Another week has come and gone. It's uh, a Monday for you there, there in listening land. We had a guy back in West Virginia. He would key up the mic on his 500-watt radio station every morning, and he'd say, Hello, world. <laughs> I imagine that 500 watts was probably reaching out of the holler he was living in, maybe maybe a little more than that. Hey, got a good podcast for you today. Got a friend that I uh, met for the first time a couple, two or three years ago at Autumn Oaks and always enjoy seeing him and talking to him. And we've got a, a really good podcast for you if you are a coon hunter, a dog man of any persuasion, that's always wanted to go bear hunting with hounds, but never did go, or perhaps you uh, have gone and would like to relive those experiences or so forth. So that's going to be the uh, the crux of what we're going to talk about today. My guest is Jerry Barker from Nancy, Kentucky. Hello, Jerry. Hey, Steve. How you doing? I'm doing good, buddy. Doing really good. Uh just uh, glad to be able to jump on here with you and um, hear about your trip out to Virginia. Uh, I'll just to re- reminisce a little bit. I believe you and I first met at Autumn Oaks, didn't we? That's right. Yeah. Probably three, is it three years ago before COVID. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think it was before the COVID year, maybe. Yeah. And which I didn't go to the, uh, two autumn oaks during that year i'd heard that uh that you know it was going to be restricted in the number of vendors and a lot yeah, of right. things like that I didn't so, go yeah but uh anyway um do you, what do you remember about that experience you mean meeting you yeah yeah how, yeah, did, so how did we get so together I, i've um I've read the magazines, the coon hunting magazines for, you know, a long time. So, you know, I knew of you. I'd read a lot of your, you know, uh, reading or your writings, read a lot of your writings. And, uh, you know, I just, I've li- been listening to your podcast. That's after you and Chris Powell started the Houndsman XP podcast. And uh, I don't know how many podcasts you've done, but I've probably listened to all of them. So, <laughs> well, it was- it's, um, <laughs> Buddy Woodbury with W Hunting Supply, who, by the way, I'll mention as being uh, the guy that's responsible for this podcast to be airing today, uh, W Hunting Supply out there in the state of Washington, um, has virtually anything a hound person would want in the way of equipment and apparel and uh, does a great job of working with all the different dog associations around the country and contributing to their efforts and all just can't say enough good about buddy and my friend jason doobie uh they do a super job out there especially with their customer service so if you guys are listening and need anything in the way of uh hound support for yourself or your dogs double u hunting supply dusupply.com but anyway when buddy approached me about doing a podcast on their network, which is called Houndcast. 
uh, W Hunting Supply, and there are other podcasts on on that network. and And he said, "Well, I see, Steve, that you've got two ex girlfriends." So, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, this is the third effort for me, and uh, and believe it or not, we've been at it now. I think this is the hundred and third or fourth episode. Yeah. I've gone to the dogs, so we've had a lot of fun with this podcasting. It's certainly gone a lot farther than I ever thought it would when Chris and I first started Houndsman XP. But um, anyway, yeah, well, I'm glad that you've been listening that long, and I'll, I'll remember that you uh, presented me with a real nice braided paracord leash. Now, you... You make those things. Um, do do you sell them or do you? Uh, well, yeah, I sell them, but I I give more away than I sell. So <laughs> I just uh, I don't know. It just seems like my dad and my uncles. Anytime we bought something, we had to re- you know make it to suit us. We did a lot of our, you know we do it a lot of di why i guess you say so <laughs> yeah. uh, i don't know some some reason i wanted a paracord leash so i made one and then uh, as i do sometimes i get carried away so i made several of them <laughs> <laughs> well i was impressed from the start with the uh, the quality of the leash in fact i've kept it as a keepsake rather than use it and i know it's made to be used but uh Really nice, and I saw when I saw you last was uh, besides Autumn Oaks. Uh, the time before that was at the uh, American Plot Association annual right. breed days there in Greenville, Tennessee. Right? Yeah, I sold a lot of them down there. I just just put about seven or eight around my body, you know, and walked around, and and people come up wanting them, so yes. I sold everything. Well, no doubt, no doubt. I think uh, I ended up having to mail one. Uh, uh, my buddy Mark Miller, who he and I partner on the Plot Dog Fever, his buddy yeah. there, Steve, had purchased one, I think, from you or had one there anyway. And he left it yeah. hanging on the back of the chair at the cabin oh, where, really? <laughs> where we were staying. But yeah. I happened to notice it as I was leaving, so I took it home and and we got it back to him anyway. But okay, well, um, let's go back to tell me where Nancy, Kentucky is. Well, it's uh, I guess it's considered South Central Kentucky. It's uh, if you know where Somerset's at, it's probably the I biggest town close. We're just about uh, I don't know thirty minutes west of Somerset. Yeah. Actually, I was in a in a small community called Fallbush, and it's just just west of Nancy a little bit, so. I gotcha. Well, I live I, just coming Parkway. Mm, mm, okay. Yeah, I remember going to Somerset years ago for the National Plot Hound Association days. We held it there. And uh, uh, what's Red's, uh, the fellow Red that worked with Wayne Cottle and Kentucky Houndsman for years, do you, do you know him? I don't remember. He's going to kill me because I can't remember the last name right here. But that happens to me a lot these days. But anyway, I remember him being from there, and it'll come to me here in a minute. But 
Yeah, I we had a good hunt there. I remember hunting, and it, it as I recall, it's a little hilly there, right? It is, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, coon dogs or squirrel dogs? What's been your your main focus? Well, I've I've had about every kind of hunting dog, but coon dogs has has been uh, you know what I always go back to. I've had a few squirrel dogs, but uh, mm-hmm. you know, coon dogs is my thing. Yeah. How old a man are you, Jerry? I'm 54. Oh, you're just a kid. I guess. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I got I you, but, I, but I'm not going to tell you how many years, but it's a lot. <laughs> we could just about put your age and Keston Jesse, my buddy, to yeah. together. You might top me by a little bit, but it wouldn't be much. <laughs> well, I remember that experience at Autumn Oaks uh, there in the vendor barn when I was there with, uh, you know, the American Cooner, Full Cry, and my, my book sales and those sort of things. And uh, I enjoyed meeting you then. And then um, it just uh, dawned on me that I hadn't had you on the podcast. And then when I heard about that you were going to go out to Virginia, uh, and try something for the first time, I thought, well, that'd be pretty interesting to a lot of folks. Now, Nubbin Moore, who's my kind of tra- traveling buddy, did you meet Nubbin at Autumn Oaks? Yeah, I met Nubbin and Keston. And, uh, yeah, it's, you know, these dogs bring you a lot of friends, or you meet a lot of friends through them, I guess. And, uh, yeah. And, uh, you know, you, I'm blessed with a lot of friends, and uh, yeah. uh, those are a couple that, you know, I could fit in with them too. So, <laughs> oh, I'm sure you could. And uh, John Wick paid me a compliment when he did uh, the foreword to my book, "Gone to the Dogs: A Coon Hunter's Journey," which I'll put in a shameless plug right here. I do still have copies of that available at my website, stevefielderbooks.com, or you can get them at W Hunting Supply. You can get them at Mark Zepp. Uh, dot com. You can get them uh, at the uh, F and T. I believe is the name of it up in Michigan. Uh, but anyway, uh, John paid me a compliment by saying that you can usually tell what kind of person someone is by the friends that they keep, the people that they associate with. And I've yeah. been totally blessed with good friends. And much better guys than I am. I mean, just really good friends. And uh, uh, that's been the greatest blessing of my career. And uh, if you want to call it that, uh, it's winding down pretty fast these days. But, uh, yeah, well, uh, anyway, uh, I was going to tell you, oh, Nubbin has, is a guy that has always wanted to go on a bear hunt. Now, oh, really? Yeah. And uh, we had, uh, uh, I had told him that if we could get everything together, we would go up to Maine and take a hunt. And uh, and we were looking forward to that. And then uh, as things happen, sometimes Nubbin had to have some hip surgeries. And uh, it's kind of, you know, complicated that issue. 
And again, my age, climbing up and down mountains is not something that's in the picture for me anymore. And I'm sure you know all about that. But before we get into this bear hunting adventure of yours, uh, tell me a little bit about how you got started uh, with coon dogs. Well, uh, I don't remember the first time I ever went coon hunting, but uh, it was, I'm sure it was with my dad because I remember my dad wasn't a coon hunter, but uh, he he had some buddies, you know, they'd come over every once in a while and hunt with us. And uh, I remember just sitting out in the woods on it, you know, he would be leaned down, I was sitting on his knee, and I remember hearing the dogs. And that's, you know, I'm sure I was probably three or four years old. And, mm. And then, you know, never hunted a whole lot until uh, I think my uncle, my dad's oldest brother, had he had some blue ticks, hounds. He hunted a little bit, and he had he raised some puppies, and he he had uh, I think they're about a year old when he let me have two of them. He was kind of getting out, so uh, I had a male and a female, and the male made a you know pretty good dog, and I treated kind of him. And, um, now like these I said, were I was, blue tips, right? Well, they, yeah, they're great dogs, but they're okay. you know blue ticks, but mm-hmm. uh, the male looked more like an English, you know, like a blue English. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the, the little female was, you know, she looked like a, you know, like a a blue tick, you know, the American blue ticks. But mm-hmm. uh, but uh, <clears throat> my mom was she she wouldn't let me go at night time. And uh, my dad didn't care as long as I was back to work, you know, in time next morning to work. So, <laughs> but uh, I would crawl out the window. I remember crawling, crawling out my bedroom window after my mom would go to sleep, and I'd, I'd take those dogs and go hunting. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, I was I'm lucky enough to you know grow up in a community where you know I could do that. You know, our we didn't have any close neighbors, but the ones we had, you know, were. You know, we're all farmers, and you know they they all knew me, and they didn't care. And and a lot of times, you know, I I see the old farmer the next day, and he said, "You go on last night. I heard that dog yours barking at me." So. Yeah, isn't that an awesome way to grow up, though, Jerry? Yeah, I yeah. Know. I didn't realize how how good I had it. It kind of reminds me of the the stories that my dad has told. You know. Uh, yeah. uh, about his beginnings, you know, and listening to the neighbor's dog trail a, a coon up the river, you know, and, yes. and he was laying there in bed trying to trying to go to sleep. But uh, but I just thank the Lord for the dads out there and the uncles and the grandpas right, yeah. that yep. have taken kids hunting, you know, and as you mentioned there, the sitting on your dad's uh, knee there or whatever. And and that's yeah. the way my dad was too. You yeah. Know, he I did. was his shadow for, you know, for uh, years. Yeah. Yeah. Good he, way uh, to put it. Yeah. Yeah. He, my dad passed away when he was 44. Oh, but, wow. you know, had a massive heart attack. And, uh, but, wow. you know, about everything I learned, I learned from my dad. So, Well, you know, I feel the same way, Jerry. You know, yeah. I all my love for hounds and and ninety percent of what I know about hounds I learned from my dad. I mean, there's only so much to know about these dogs. Most of yeah. it's totally out of our control yeah, when it right. comes to the genetics and all that stuff. But 
There was an old book called Houndsman 101, and nobody handed me a book and said, here, study this book, and you'll be a, a coon hunter and know what you're doing. But I had a walking encyclopedia, just like uh, yeah. John Wick, you know, uh, yeah. in my dad, and he— he provided all that knowledge, and he was he. One thing about Dad is he liked to teach me, you know, and uh, he would teach you too if you, you yeah, asked yeah. him. Opened the door, he'd gladly tell you uh, yeah. what he thought, and not in a in a, a, a rude way at all. But he right. would gladly share what knowledge he had with just about nothing him. like the heart of a teacher. Yeah, well, I think that's right, Jerry. Great, great way to put it. Well, so I imagine, of course, you're you're more than twenty years younger than me. So, was there an ample coon population back then in your part of Kentucky when you started? Yeah, we usually when you know I told you my dad would have some of his buddies come down. It's usually around. You know, we usually grew a pretty good big garden. I always had you know sweet corn and. And usually when the coons were about ready to get in the sweet corn. So, yeah. uh, you know, there, there was sometimes there were too many coons mm. <laughs> in our sweet corn patch. Anyway. Oh, I bet. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I can remember the trips that I took to Kentucky over in the eastern part of Kentucky around Ashland. My dad had a friend named Jess Runyon that lived over there and we would make the drive Ashland's not far from Huntington, West Virginia, so Huntington was about 100 miles from where we live. So anyway, we would drive over sometimes on a Saturday afternoon and go coon hunting. And then I remember my first uh, licensed coon hunt was at the Bluegrass Coon Hunters Club in, in Georgetown, Kentucky. Yeah. Have you ever hunted out of that club? or been I never there? have. Yeah, yeah. Well, that was uh, the first time I think that I, I uh, actually actually participated in uh, in a licensed UKC hunt, and I wrote about it in my book. Uh, but anyway, okay. So, uh, when did you get dogs of your own? Was that did that come later? Uh, well, when I was living, my my uncle gave me those two blue ticks I had, and. Uh, when I was, I think when I was, when I was 16, uh, I bought a walking female, which is my, the first registered dog I had. Uh, I think she's about four months old when I bought her off of uh, Marshall Kenny. I don't know if you know Marshall or not, but he used to live here. Now he moved to uh, Indiana. He's lived up there for several years. But uh, I've uh, heard the name Jerry, but I do yeah. not know him. He had a. Marshall had a daughter, a direct daughter of Call River Chiefs at the time. Mm. And then he bred her to a, a young male dog he had that was out of uh, Spring Creek Radar and a direct daughter of Hickory Nut Harry, you know, the old Hickory Nut Harry. Mm -hmm. And uh, I, I named her, I think, Lightning Jill is what I called her. And uh, anyway, she was she was just a natural. And actually, that whole litter was was just, just made just made dogs all you gotta do is turn to the woods my cousin had one and uh, several of the you know the younger boys around the community got some of them and marshall kept a couple when when he moved to indiana he took them up there and, and he kind of you know he bred them up there and and he's you know he got out of coon hunting for a few years but he's starting to get back into it but 
I usually go up there just about every year and uh, hunt with him, you know, three or four nights because in that, you know, coon zoo. <laughs> yeah, really. <laughs> up there is where the coons are at. So. What general part of Indiana is he? Uh, uh, he lives in Dana. He's over next to the Illinois, about, about middle ways of Indiana, just just uh, west of Indianapolis. Oh, all okay. about as far as you can go when you get to over by the Wabash River. Over yeah, Wabash River. Yes, sir. Yeah. Hmm. Well, that's cool. That's cool for sure. So, have you uh, maintained any kind of breeding program down through the years? No, and I, I wish I wish that that's something that I really regret. You know, uh, I didn't realize what I had in that little female, and uh, of course, I was you know my. A couple of things my dad always told me, and I remember him saying was, uh, said, son, if you don't quit fooling those old dogs, you're not going to mount to anything. <laughs> and, and he'd always tell me that, that I wish you'd hurry up. So, you know, anybody can be slow. So, <laughs> so you know, like I say, my dad was a workaholic. So all he thought about was work. So yeah. if it wasn't getting work done and it wasn't beneficial to him. So, but anyway, <clears throat> um, yeah, that, uh, I, that's something I really regret is not, you know, mm -hmm. not, not, you know, keeping that female because she was out of some, you know, real good blood. Yeah, you had some really good foundation blood back then. Yeah, in those I dogs, didn't know what for I had. Sure. But anyway, yeah. I was, you know, I was, I was getting up about twenty years old, and uh, uh, you know, I started milking cows, and I milked cows for about seven and a half years, so. Hmm. And I had, you know, I wasn't married yet, but I was getting ready to get married. So I thought I, was, I better listen to my dad and, you know, quit all this foolishness and, <laughs> and get to work. So I sold my little female and, and uh, I wish, you know, I just, I, something I regretted. But uh, so I was without a dog there for just a, probably just a few months. And that I think that winter, uh, one of my friends, his brother had a coon dog and they, he was just tied up. He wasn't hunting. Man, he, he told us that you boys need to take that dog and go hunting. So we went one night and he treated a coon, did a pretty good job, and and you know, it's I've been hunting ever since. So. I got you. <laughs> well, he your dad didn't believe in that all work and no play makes Jerry a dull boy, did he? Yeah, he did. <laughs> Oh man! Well, my dad was kind of he—he he loved the hound so much um, that uh, it, now the work always came first. And I've—I've yeah, I've right. told these stories on these podcasts for a long time, and I'll spare the listeners. But you know, after the work was done, that's then when we got to go play—you uh, know—go yeah. hunting or fishing. Dad had some, my dad had beagles when I was real small. By the time I got up, you know, old enough to go with him, they was, they was you know, got gotten old. And but he, one of his buddies had bred a female and raised some beagle puppies, and he he gave me a pair of beagle pups. And uh, I would hunt them in the daytime, you know, and we chase rabbits around. That's the first hunting dogs that you know I had any experience with. So. Right. Well, did they grow any tobacco in your country there? Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. Everybody grew tobacco. That's what I thought. You know, there's a lot of good if if guys you know enjoy reading, and I've I've talked about this before. You know, when I wrote my book, I should have written it 20 years earlier because there were a lot more readers then. There's not not yeah. too many guys actually like to sit down 
and spend the time to turn the pages of a book. But uh, but the guys like me, uh, you know, really like that, and I'm just uh, chomping at the bit here waiting for the new uh, issue of Full Cry Magazine to come out. They have, uh, they tell me they've shipped them already. And yeah. uh, so I, I'm really looking forward to that. But uh, I always like to read and like to read the stories. And there was a favorite author that I picked up on when I was in grade school. Don't know if you ever read him or not, but he was from over in eastern Kentucky. His name was Jesse Stewart. And uh, Jesse was a school teacher for many years, and he wrote several novels. But uh, some of those books were wrapped around the issue of the fox hunters versus the tobacco farmers. Oh, uh, yeah. You know, there were actually wars, so to speak. You know, the, the yeah. dogs would get in the tobacco and break the stalks, I guess. <laughs> and, and then uh, so the tobacco farmers would take up arms against the dogs. And then when the dog got killed, then the tobacco barn got burned. And yeah. <laughs> it was a vi- vicious circle there. Yeah. But I love re- uh, reading Jesse Stewart. And if you're a reader out there and you like like to read good stories from from a good storyteller, and he's from over – in the part of the country where my good friend Whitey Marshall lives. Do you know Whitey? Yeah. Jerry? Yeah, I've hunted with Marshall or Whitey. Yeah. I bought a puppy off of him uh-huh. several years ago. Okay, okay. But anyway, um, Greenup, Kentucky, over that way. Yeah. But So I always, when I go, uh, or when I think about Kentucky, I think about tobacco. I think about horse farms. And I, I that first night hunt that I hunted in, in uh out of georgetown we hunted on what was called pin oak farm and i wrote about that in my book as well uh and um so you know i think about horses never being a drinking man and don't think so much about the whiskey of course that's tennessee i think is maybe a little more known for the whiskey than than kentucky but kentucky is a beautiful state uh i think uh from, you know, East Kentucky, where my grandparents were from, over around Van Leer and that area where Loretta Lynn was born. That's where they were from. And then I, I was privileged, you know, in my PKC years to spend a good bit of time over in West Kentucky, uh, over there, which is a whole different world, but it's uh, nonetheless enjoyable. You know, I, I've always enjoyed the state of Kentucky. Yeah, Kentucky's a very diverse. We talk about different types of country. So, yeah, yeah, for sure. We live in Pulaski County, and it's the third largest in the state, mm. behind Pike County in the eastern part and uh, Christian County in the western part. So, but Pulaski is kind of like uh, the state of Kentucky is diverse. You know, we got some, you know, a lot of agricultural land that's flat. Yeah a lot of it but we got some of it then we have where we live it's pretty hilly and and some of these hollers they remind you of the the mountains of virginia it's just not you know not as big a territory yeah really well you know kentucky uh 
fast forward a little bit, has always been a leader when it comes to fighting for a houndsman's rights. And maybe that some of that goes back to the history. You know, we look at the history of the Walker dog, you know, with that family in Kentucky and and all. And uh, But when I was at UKC and the other registries as well, worked a lot with the Kentucky Houndsman Association. It's always done a good job of keeping track of legislation that's out there that might be detrimental, you know. Yeah. Yes. That's very important. You know, you, you think that, uh, you know, it's, it's never going, you know, it's not in danger. You got, you being able to go out and take a dog and free cast it somewhere and, and chase an old raccoon and burn it up a tree. But, uh, you know, that's, unfortunately that's not, that's not true. It is in danger. And, you know, I appreciate, appreciate the, you know, all the podcasts and, you know, Chris Powell, I think he does an excellent job trying to keep people informed and, you know, you know, watching and, uh, you know, there's a lot of people out there that do. And, yeah. and, uh, you know, you talk about the, you know, Kentucky Houndsman Association and, and, uh, you know, I've, I've never been really a, what you call a competition hunter. I have competition hunted a little bit, but, uh, it's not really my thing. I just like to take a dog and, and go to the woods and, and, uh, you know, it just, to me, it, it just blows my mind that somebody would want to take it away from me. Well, you know, when I was young and hunting with my dad there, and he was from Tennessee, and, of course, going to the farm in Tennessee was my Disney World. And, you know, and when we'd go there, he'd go and visit his boyhood friends who were fox hunters, and we'd go out and listen to the foxhounds run, you know, and and then going back home. You know, and we coon hunted on Saturday nights. When my dad was home, he worked away most of the time. And then when I got big enough to go on my own, I would go with anyone that would take me. And I ne- we never thought anything that we could possibly lose that privilege. You know, yeah. we didn't have many coons in West Virginia, but we had places we could take go turn the dogs loose, you know. Right, yeah. And then when I went to UKC and I began to, well, actually before that, when I was with the National Plot Hound Association and the, and the various uh, local clubs and all, you know, we began to see the forces at work out there. And, and that was kind of one of my main focuses all the years I was at UKC was, uh, you know, I used to say I could just uh, back my truck out of the driveway turn right and it would end up 90 miles away in Lansing at the state house because we had many, many, many trips there, you know, to lobby for for um, the Michigan Hunting Dog Federation and the Michigan Bear Hunters and all those groups. And, man, uh, we're kind of asleep right now uh, as a hound community. Um, I, we we feel the pressures from loss of places to hunt, uh, yeah. mainly because of the uh, attitudes of deer hunters uh, is the main reason, I think. And then a very close second would probably be the urban sprawl, uh, just like it is here in Florida where they're building right and left. I mean, just you can't imagine how much construction's going on down here. Yeah, so, yeah. The community I grew up in, you know, like I, 
I said, you know, I could crop my bedroom window and, and go hunting. I had to worry about anything. Well, there's houses built up. It's, mm-hmm. you know, it's all that country's gone pretty much. There's a couple of little farms left and, and all the rest of them are covered up the houses. So, Oh yeah. In Michigan, I, I used to, I've told people many times that I kept a little overlay in the, in the pocket in the back of the passenger seat in my truck and I could just reach around and pull it out and I had the names and phone numbers of all the farmers that would let me hunt. And there were more than 30. Yeah. And, you know, some of them wanted me to call them before I came out, you know, or so I just pull that out and I had the phone number right there and I'd give them a call. But when I left there in 2004, to go to Raleigh, North Carolina with AKC, um, you know, I was seeing subdivisions being built in some of my places, you know. And I imagine if I go back there now, there's going to be a whole lot more. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Okay. The reason I lassoed you into doing this podcast with me, Jerry, besides the fact that I just wanted to talk to you, is this little trip that you just got back from out to the great state of Virginia uh, to lay a little bit of background on it. I think you went out and hunted with my good friend, and, and he and I, I think I had Heath on the very first podcast that he did. Uh, and now he has one of his own. Uh, but uh, you went out and hunted with Heath Hyatt on a black bear hunt in the state of Virginia. Tell us how that came about and and uh, tell us about, you know, what happened. Well, I, I'd been, uh, you know, like I say, all, all I've ever done was the coon hunt. And, and I, I kind of got a, a few years ago, uh, I wanted to go you know, bear hunting, I wanted to be under a bear tree, you know, one time before I got too old to, you know, walk to them. So, um, that's when I met you at Autumn Oaks, that's what I, I asked you about, you know, hooking me up with somebody. And I guess it was easy you were talking about, but, and, uh, you was going to try to get me hooked up with him. But, uh, I had a friend, uh, Billy Johns that I came on with, and he was at the time, he's probably 89. He's since passed, but, uh, he, he called me and wanted me to take him to Arkansas. We'd been down there a few times sooner. And so I just had a week's vacation. So I had to, you know, I couldn't do both of them. So I had to cancel my bear hunting trip and to take Mr. Johns to, to the White River to coon hunt. And, and he, he wound up, he couldn't go anyway. So, but uh, me and another buddy of mine went on down and coon hunted. But, uh, but anyway, <clears throat> so covid hit and then kind of put everything on the burner on the back burner and uh, kind of i didn't forget about it but i kind of you know i know it wasn't going to be possible i didn't want to you know take off to somewhere and, and you know risk taking covid and put you know giving it to somebody so but uh so i went to apa uh, uh breed days in greenville tennessee and I saw, which I've been listening to the podcast, and and we were sitting there by the fire, and uh, my wife said, "I hear that." I said, "That voice I hear sounds familiar." <laughs> so I turned around and it was Heath Hyatt. And I said, 
I got to go introduce myself to him. So I went and talked to Heath and, and uh, I told him, you know, that I was wanting to go bear hunting. So he just invited me down. So, uh, you know, <laughs> I went. So <laughs> Well, Heath and I go back a long time. And when I first met Heath, I immediately liked him. It's another one of those people like we were talking about earlier, you know, the people you meet in life. And Heath was a young coon hunter at that time and had not begun to bear hunt. Yeah. Um, you know, and had a pretty good little plop female uh, that he had uh, gotten uh, somewhere. I don't remember exactly where she came from. He I came, think she came from Kenny Rourke. Kenny, that's right. She did. Yeah, and that was Brandy. And Brandy went on to make quite a name for herself. She won the high scoring plot of the year through the MPHA. She was the Purina high scoring uh, plot. Uh, she was a Grand Knight champion, of course, and uh, and then uh, the year that Heath and I really met and uh, started talking to each other and hunting it together and all was at uh, in 1997 at Pomeroy, Ohio, when uh, his Brandy female won the Isaiah Kidd Award, which is the award for the high scoring dog plot dog for three nights at plot days. And it's yeah, so I think happy. she was pretty young too. Yeah, she wasn't very old, and uh, it just so happened that my dad and I had kind of teamed up and ended up with the opposite sex award, which they they present as well. So the on Sunday morning we were staying at the same motel, and he was loading trophies, and we were loading trophies. So the, the MPHA always kind of really loaded the winners down with a lot of hardware, you know. Yeah. So I said, hey, you want to get these dogs together and take a picture? And he said, yeah. So <laughs> we did that, you know, and still have that picture. It's a cherished photograph, really. And But anyway, that's how Heath and I met. And then I was living uh, in Michigan and, and uh you know, he came up and hunted with me up there several times, and then I would come back down. And sometime along the way there, he got bit by the bear hunting bug, and we had a lot of good bear hunts together. So I count Heath as one of my closest friends, a guy that I really like. And uh, Yes, he's a super nice guy. He really is. Well, okay, so tell me, you guys just kind of got – he invited you over and <coughs> – and where where'd it go from there? Well, uh, of course, I had my vacation lined out. And, and uh, uh, just so happened that uh, Kevin uh, Fuzzy, what's his last name? I can't, uh, now, you're asking me for Fuzzy's name? Yeah. I don't have a clue. <laughs> well, it's Kevin can't yeah. Remember his last name. yeah. Anyway, so he had a, a a vacant house there on the Jefferson National Forest where he's going to hunt at. So he kind of hooked me up with him, and we got set up to stay there. And uh, so he just picked me up there every morning, and uh, you know we went up on the mountain, and, and of course you know how they do it, uh, they like to have two or three, you know, kind of different. It's people people in different trucks, two or three different trucks, and so they can kind of keep up with the dogs and and kind of help protect the dogs. Because there's a 
that blacktop road that goes through there, a hard top they call it, mm. is uh, pretty busy. It surprised me. Yeah, and, and that and you can get traffic, you can get some trucks, and you can get uh, and this is just a, uh, a winding. We better not disclose all the locations. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he he to be down here skinning what little bit of hair I've got off of yeah. my head. <laughs> if I if he has to get an appointment to go bear. Yeah, well, I don't want to upset Heath, so if I'll say yeah. anything. So we'll, we'll, keep the, we'll keep the locations to ourselves. But, yes, there's a road that goes along a creek there. Yeah. And uh, that's where Fuzzy's camp is. And, and Forrest Red is another <laughs> fellow that normally hunts with uh, Heath. And I think Forrest has maybe had some health issues or whatever, but uh, – but he lives uh, or has a camp. I say lives. They, these boys all live over around the Blacksburg, Christiansburg, uh, yeah. Newport, that that area over there. But uh, uh, just a second. So, but, you know, we mm-hmm. he's picking me up about 6 o'clock in the morning. Uh, I think he can start hunting at 4, but uh, he said they hadn't been striking variable up in there later in the morning so we start about six o'clock and uh you know we just they have a meeting spot everybody goes there and uh, and see who's hunting and they kind of know i think before you know who's going to be there but uh, then they kind of get a game plan about who's going where and and you know they'll heath usually let his dogs out and to you know clean out and then yeah. he would decide which one he's going to put up on the rig and which one is going to go in the box and uh, we just kind of ease around those roads. And, and, uh, you know, the first morning we, we got a strike pretty quick, but, uh, you know, it's kind of amazed me that, uh, when they took off, they didn't just hit a track. They went probably 200 yards, you know, up the hill, up the mountain before they even hit the track. So, uh, there was just a little bit of a slight breeze, you know, blowing our direction. So, I guess the dogs just picked that scent up that far. They and, will. Uh, Roading like that, sometimes it's a yeah. long way to the bear track from where the dog yeah. is getting that, that smell. Did he uh, rig Spook any? Did you get to hunt with Spook? Spook, yes, sir, I did. Uh, That's one it, of my favorites that he yeah, has. He has, you know, he, he always puts those freeze brand that H on his ear. I think yep. I could make it a B. Maybe. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Don't <believe us. laughs> Right. Right. I remember when Spook was just a pup. Yeah. 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 He, you know, he says he liked to have enough. Did, he, did you hunt with Everybody Kate? Was. <laughs> yeah. No, Kate's, I think Kate's got puppies. Oh, okay. Okay. He mentioned her. He said she was as good as Spook. He she, thought, but. She's a good one. She is yeah. a good one. Those dogs have some of that Mike Kemp breeding from out in Oregon. Yeah, that's what he's mm-hmm. Well, it's, I don't know what he's got in him, but uh, we ran that bear 11 miles, or the dogs did. And I'm going to guess about half the half the race, the other dogs stayed pretty close. But after that, he just kept pulling away and pulling away. And, and <laughs> he was a long way in front of him when he treated. So. Yeah, I did a story on one of uh, 
Heath's Dogs for Bear Hunting magazine. He had a really phenomenal walker dog back in the day, and I think he was he wasn't purebred walker, but uh, a dog named Ring that was like that, you know, that could yeah. run. And you know, having bear hunted. Um, I laugh at this when you say all my life. Well, I haven't hunted all my life yet. <laughs> but, yeah. <laughs> but, but, you know, those individuals come to the top. It seems exactly. like in every party, every group of hunters, there will be dogs that the guys will always remember that are just exceptional, you know. Yeah, uh, and and it's the same way in professional sports uh, or any endeavor in life. I guess leaders, you know, come to the surface, and and uh, and uh, I can remember, you know, and it's another um, I won't say lesson, I guess, about this hound sports that these dogs are not instant. They don't come out of their mama's womb being superstars. I don't know. They go through a process, you know. <laughs> Heath's had some hair-pulling moments with those young dogs as they were coming up. Yeah, he told me he did. Yeah. And one thing about it, Heath will tell you like it is. You know, he's not going to sugarcoat it. And, uh, But, yeah, well, I'm glad you got to hunt with those guys. Well, let me ask you this: Was uh, how how many bears did you get on in the time the time you were there? Well, we treed. Uh, I was under two bear trees, mm-hmm. and the third day we got on a, another bear. But uh, he said it was going in a in a bad spot. It's, I believe him, and I'm glad he caught him because I didn't want you know. <laughs> I'm pretty tough, but. He's, he's pretty tough, too. <laughs> I didn't really want to follow him in too many bad spots. He, but, he's uh, about as tough as they come. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, I guess we ran three bears. I don't – I know we ran – we know with Heath's dogs. Now, the other guys treat some bears, too, and they ran some. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, we tried to help. We was going to pack on one, and uh, I don't know what happened. The track kind of broke up, so. Yeah. Uh, we decided not to pack on it. So. Well, one thing I've I've learned by hunting with those guys there, and they do it a little bit different than way, the way we did when I was hunting with my dad. Now, we can go all the way back to the early days where we basically had no roads and we just coupled dogs together. We could have used some of those nice paracord leashes, lightweight yeah. leashes you had, but we double couple them two to a lead and and one hunter may have four dogs and we would just hit the mountain in the morning before daylight and and start walking and really had no idea where we would come out uh but we did have uh some communication we had those old five walkie talkies (laughs) that looked like they were world war ii vintage or something and you could usually communicate with with people back on the roads and let them know where you were going to come out or whatever. But anyway, uh, you know, that style of hunting. And then later on when we had roads, timber company roads to drive, if we found a track or someone found a track, 
they'd get on the radio, and originally it was CB radios, and later on, I guess, FM, uh, similar to the Marine Band radios. Uh, and, you know, tell the other hunters, well, let me back up a little bit. During this time, uh, everybody's out there driving around known locations and crossings and things with the hope of striking a bear. Now, back in my early days, we didn't have rig dogs. We depended on finding where a bear had slid down off the bank and crossed the road or something like that or go to a place where we knew they would normally cross. But anyway, in that aspect, it was the same. You know, guys out in several trucks driving around searching for tracks. Then, yeah, he says they do that. You know, they'll they'll later on when the the bears kind of you know get concentrated on you know whatever food they're eating that they you know get deeper back in the woods too. Right, farther away from the roads that they you know take two or three dogs and and walk in there to. You know, I guess kind of push them out. Yeah, that kind of happens, you know, with uh, when you're hunting from the roads and you're hoping to rig one. And, and the areas that, you know, the, the bear population has changed a lot over the years. I don't know if it's because there's fewer hunters, uh, but, you know, there's a lot of bear anymore. Yeah, that's what they said. Almost anywhere. And, uh, but it wasn't that way when I was hunting, when I first especially when I first started. But anyway, what I, the point I was going to make is back in that day, if someone found a track, they would just wait until everybody showed up there at yeah. that track. And, uh, you know, then they would turn a dog or two loose to see if they could take it. And unfortunately, a lot of times guys would get jump the gun and turn dogs loose too quick, and dogs that maybe hadn't been hunted for <laughs> since the year before, and all. So you you had a yeah. lot of train wrecks. <laughs> you had a lot of dogs taking the back end. You had dogs running off game and all that stuff. But these guys, you know, if they find a track and the dog rigs it and the box blows up, as we say, and so forth, they probably uh, pretty much put the dogs down and then tell everybody else. Is that the way they did it when you were there? Oh, yeah. 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 So that's totally different from the way that I hunted for you. And and I'm not knocking what they're doing because – it's really they eliminate that waiting and they eliminate too many dogs being turned loose at the start, you know. Right. Mm-hmm. So you had, did you have some pretty good runs? Yeah, we did. Like I said, that one went, he went over 11 miles before he treed. And the next morning, he didn't go that far. Uh, I'm guessing seven or eight miles and treed. And then we were, we chased the other one the last day I was there. Uh, you know, we had a good race. It just, we had to, we didn't have to catch them, but we caught them off of it. Right. So, you know, they were starting to line out pretty good. Well, we should tell the listeners, and I think they probably have guessed this already, we're not talking about tabletop flat in a cornfield in the Midwest, <laughs> are we? No, and not hardly. Yeah. Well, what 
your your pre thoughts, the thoughts that you had about what it would be like to hunt bears and all, did they any way match up with what you actually experienced? Yeah, of course. I you know, anytime I get something on my mind, I you know, it's it's on my mind. So <laughs> I've been watching you know YouTube videos okay. and, and things like that, but. Uh, so I kind of knew what to expect, but one thing that impressed me was, uh, you know, it seemed like Heath knew everybody's dogs. Everybody knew Heath's dogs and they, you know, their communication and keeping up with those dogs and protecting those dogs, you know, from the road or whatever. And, and not only that, but, you know, getting the young dogs, of course, Several, several of them had young dogs, and and they were concerned about getting them in on that, you know, that good track that they could run. And uh, you know, that's that's what impressed me most, probably, is that you know the communication and and the knowledge they had of each other's dogs. Well, they do. You know, they start in the training season, uh, hunting and getting their dogs ready, getting them in shape, you know, that sort of thing. But the one thing that you'll find about those fellas right there particularly, and I would say most uh, hound hunting groups, and, and you know, the, in this sport, it tends to form little communities, you know. Yeah. You used the word the other day, the culture, the bear hunting culture. Exactly, yeah. And, um, and so, you know, they become very tight-knit and a dog left on the mountain, whether it's yours, mine, Heath's, Fuzzy's, uh, Sam's, whoever, is a dog that belongs to us, that we want to recover that dog. We want to make sure yeah, he gets correct. back in the truck. And if it means me, I'm out on that end of the mountain if it means me maybe not getting my dog in where the action is to stay out there and try to catch that dog and get him back in a safe place, I'm going to do that. Yeah, did you exactly. notice that? I did, yeah. That was one thing I was talking about, you know, the, how they protect those dogs. And, you know, it's not that protecting my dog is protecting, you know, whosoever dog it is. Exactly, and uh, what you'll find in that group right there, they're extremely hardworking. Uh, yeah, they're definitely serious about it. Wes, Wesley Woodyard. Yes, sir. I have seen him <laughs> cross ice water creeks, Ooh. climb <laughs> tough ridge, you know, drag that bear out. Yeah, uh, hard, hard-working bear hunter, and they're all <laughs> that way. I mean, they all—you know—some of the fellows are a little older, uh, you know, in the group, and they tend to be like me, spend more time close to the vehicle. You know, there—that was the hardest thing for me for several years—is not be able to just yeah, bust in there with the dogs, you know. But you realize after a while, you just simply can't do it. You know, yeah, and uh, that's uh, that's a tough realization for a guy that was raised up in the mountains that never worried about that sort of yeah, thing. Yeah, I can see that, but you know, there's still a value in that. You know, just you know, being there and being able to stay with the truck. 
Well, yeah, and I, you know, I'm I'm forever grateful uh, to Heath and to those fellows. They always have treated me like family when I've been there. Of course, I've stayed with Heath so many times. I, you know, he probably put me on his tax return. Yeah, but. Uh, <laughs> Just I, I can't say enough forget about him. And again, back to that thing of we're known by the friends we keep. And exactly. every one of those guys are just top flight guys. I wish I had a whole list here of names that I could read off, which I don't. I know I'll forget somebody. But most of the dogs that you saw there were probably crossbred dogs, weren't they? Yeah, it seemed like they were all crossbreds. Uh Blue ticks crossed. Uh, I think they had some blue ticks out of, you know, he's got some, I call them just black and white dogs, you know, they're, mm-hmm. uh, they're just black and white. Yeah. But they were out of a blue tick female in Spook. Mm-hmm. And they had a lot of Spook's offspring. So I assume that they yeah. all thought quite a bit of him. So they were breeding to him. So. Oh, yeah. Well, you know, speed is, is the name of the game, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, in the mountains, you know, you strike that track. You don't want the dogs to just run a track all day. You know, you want that dog to throw his head up and move that track, you know. Yeah. And, and Spook has been that guy, you know, since he was yeah. young. And, uh, but, and that was always the thing that motivated my dad with his hounds was, was having that speed, you know. Yeah. That ability to catch a bear. You know, literally roll him out of his bed and and catch up with him and harass him enough that he'll go up a tree, hopefully. Yeah. Well, uh, it's it's gratifying to know that you went and you had a good time and you had a good a good hunt. I, by Heath picking you up there on the creek, you missed out on stopping it and getting a, the ham and egg biscuits on the way to the woods every morning did he bring you one no actually i fixed him some breakfast two mornings uh, yeah nothing fancy just a chicken and egg sandwich so oh yeah well there's a place there on uh on the highway there between uh uh between uh, blacksburg and where you turn up the creek that uh there's a, a store there, and they specialize in all kinds of homemade biscuits with eggs yeah. and sausage and bacon or Canadian. But any way you want them, you can get. So that was always, a, you know, I look forward to stop for me uh, when yeah. I'm up there hunting with those guys. Well, you know, you see in that community, and you, as you say again, that word culture there is a whole culture there there's a lot of unwritten laws you know and they're not really uh, you can just feel them it's an undercurrent uh yeah. good sportsmanship uh, you don't talk bad about another guy's dog you don't uh, you know you you but they're all knowledgeable and they know, and you mentioned about they know these dogs. They know which ones can be trusted. Yeah, they know exactly. which ones just don't have enough experience under their belts yet. 
dog A, you might pack, dump the box to the bottom of the holler if he's got something going because you, yeah. you know that he's right. Another dog, you might, you know, there may be some question marks about whether he is or not, you know. So all of that comes, there's just that vast uh, wealth of knowledge there that exists within that, that culture. Yeah, you know, just just because the dog barks don't mean they're going to get cut loose. And, oh, yeah. And it, that's one thing that Heath does not like is a dog barking, you know. <laughs> what <laughs> right. it ain't supposed to be barking. No, mean something if you're barking, you know. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Well, let's talk about <laughs> something that you mentioned the other day and I had to laugh. You rode with Heath, I guess. Yeah, I did. <laughs> did you remember to pay up your insurance policy before you <laughs> went to Virginia? <laughs> uh I don't want to get, you know, I don't want to talk about he's driving too mad because he's he can, actually he an can take driver. It. Yeah. But, uh, you know, he, yeah, I think he's kind of, I think he's a little bit uh, proud of it. Oh, yeah. Well, uh, I don't know if he told you, but there's one, and I forget what the, we call that place, but when you're back up on top there and there's one place, a real steep place to come down, and Heath and I one morning, it was frozen. Did he mention to you about he and I coming off that steep place one time? No, I don't think so. Okay. Maybe you didn't get around there. Although yeah. I can't imagine in two or three days of hunting that you didn't. <laughs> but, man, we were – talk about the pucker factor. It was in full yeah. force <laughs> going down that, down that hill that morning. Uh, trying to get in, you know, get in the race, get into a place yeah. where you can turn the dogs <laughs> in or head them off or whatever the case. But I have another friend in West Virginia named Evan Workman, and he and Heath remind me a lot of each other in the way they yeah. drive. <laughs> of course, Heath, we know, is, a, you know, he's a, a canine officer. and uh, Yeah. You've heard his, I'm sure most auto listeners have heard his uh, podcasts and so forth. But no, he, he'll, uh, he'll make you use that grab bar. Uh, yeah, I did. <laughs> but uh, I wrote a story one time for Coonhound Bloodlines magazine. It was called Bear Dogs and Bear Hunters Are Crazy. Yeah. And when there's a bear chase to get into, it's, it's just, uh, here we go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah but that's uh i'm glad you got to experience that i yeah what i do is i just try to think of something else <laughs> when I'm riding with Heath. yeah well my dad was a pretty wild driver I, you know I, oh, okay. I sort of used to it a little bit but uh I, he's actually an excellent driver oh absolutely you know he he, he can drive backwards as about as good as he can forward so. <laughs> This one was on my pros. Them drivers near fast going backwards. So yeah, well that's it. There, there's that to be thankful for. Isn't it? <laughs> he's still driving that uh, that old blue Chevy truck or yeah, GM Chevy, I think. Yeah, I Man. think he broke the shock or what? Last year he had to get it fixed. Yeah, that truck has been on many many bear hunts. Yeah, 
Yeah, it's yeah, a good one tough. for sure. Yeah, he doesn't worry too much about uh, the paint. <laughs> no, no. My dad was kind of like that. He had a Ford F one fifty, you know, and he. There was one place it was called. It was up on what we call the Blizzard Strip, uh, an old coal mining strip up on in Greenbrier County. And there's one place if you came out that road pretty, and it just kind of dead end and dropped off what we call high wall, where they yeah. stripped the coal around there. Well, Dad knew what that was. If he got some kind of rookie in there in the truck with him. He come flying up there to that thing and last minute put the brakes on. I said, Pop, one of these days that pedal's going to go to the floor and you're going to launch that thing. <laughs> but uh, that's just all part of the fun of being with a good group of guys and having having a good time. And they're very serious houndsmen. Uh, you know, Heath has bought dogs all over the country. And yeah. studied the bloodlines and all that. And the other boys have too. Yeah. So did you talk much about the dogs at all when you were there? Well, yeah. When, you know, when we, were, when we were trying to rig a bear, you know, that's, that's what we talked about. That's, that's one reason I, you know, I was pretty excited to go with Heath because, you know, I knew he was a, you know, a, a trainer and, and, uh, you know, I'm sure you've been, you know, educated, been around dogs all his life, but, uh, yeah, you know, that's, well, that's something that, uh, you never learn, you know, enough. And, you know, if you're serious about something, you always want to learn. You always don't have a, you know, open mind, but, uh, and, uh, Heath, uh, one thing, that, one thing that, uh, impressed me about Heath and his dog handling was, his uh his demeanor you know he was just calm and he didn't get real excited and uh you know what that's one thought i've got probably is that you know i want dogs to do it you know when i want them to do it and, and you know he was he would just uh he had some patience with them uh now he wanted you know he made sure they did what he wanted them to and uh you know they they weren't just playing around but uh you know he he didn't expect them to you know, do it on his time time frame. Well, that's one thing about Heath from the very start when he was a new houndsman, just starting he put a handle on his dogs. And I would notice that when we were coon hunting. I he didn't put a lead on a dog to walk him out of the woods, you know. I mean this yeah. is that's very fundamental, but way back, you know, I noticed that about Heath and yeah, yeah, he he's definitely a good dog man, and and uh, you know just like you talk about when you pull in there in the morning and get them, let them all out to to air out, so to speak, yeah. and and all that, and all he's got to do is speak to them, and they'll be back there. And that's that's the one thing I noticed that was so impressive when uh, Chris Powell and I went down to Catula, Texas, to hunt with Sonny Gorham the uh, bullfighter, yeah. Uh, yep. his dogs were cat hunting, and he had 13, I believe. Those dogs are West Texas or South Texas bred foxhounds is what they are originally, but they've been bred for cat hunting for so long. Yeah. But, you know, he had those dogs in a, in a pickup bed, you know, that just one of those typical racks where – just the top slides down in a pickup, and the dogs are all uh, 
loose inside there, and he laid out those 13 tracking collars in order the way he wanted them. And he would call a a dog's name, and that dog would come through that door and stand there and get his collar on, and he'd let him down. And call yeah, he the spent next the time those dogs. Part, oh yeah, absolutely. But uh, you know, uh, good houndsmen, really good ones, do those sort of things. You know. Yeah. But uh, I was always a little too impatient for that. I think patience yeah, has never too. been a virtue of mine. <laughs> <laughs> I want patience, but I want it right now. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. <laughs> Well, so you had a good time. You got to see some. Uh, did you? Were there any of the bears harvested while you were there? No, it was just training season. It was but, all uh, training. Okay. I did get a pretty good video. The first one we treated uh, was it just me and Heath at the tree, and he he said, "I'll pull these dogs off." He said, "Bear will probably climb down," and he told me just back up just a little ways, and and I can get a video of it. And I thought they would. Probably just, of course, I think most of the time they do. They come down pretty fast and they take off pretty fast. But this one, it was a small bear, but it just climbed down real slow. And just <laughs> took it forever. Seemed like to get down the tree. And then it actually turned and started to come straight toward me. And then I guess it, I guess it smelled me. Yeah. But it, it just hesitated for a second. And then it kind of took off the other way. It never, run, never did run off. It just kind of. You know, just walked away. So. Were you standing that's uphill cool. or downhill from the tree? I was uphill. Yeah, well, that's just unusual. Usually they'll come down and then jump off on the downhill side, you know. Yeah. It's like they get an extra boost there. Well, he was downhill, so. Oh, okay. So Probably he, why it came up. Yeah. Well, he saw that big ugly thing, and he came up your way then, did he? Yeah. <laughs> As my buddy Heath, I'm glad you got to go hunting with him. He's he's uh, one of the one of the best. Yeah, me and my wife we went to uh, we stopped at Pigeon Forge for a couple of days before we went on to Virginia, and I bought him a couple of t-shirts and I think I got him some fudge and and she said you just don't reason you're buying him so he'll bite you back next year. <laughs> <laughs> well, hey, whatever works, right? Yeah, whatever it takes. <laughs> whatever works. Well, we uh, we've done good. We haven't disclosed any of Heath's uh, favorite <laughs> hunting spots or anything. Well, uh, that does bring up a question: Does that is that trip going to make a bear hunter out of you? Well, uh, my wife came out and met Heath and Wes, and and uh, she said she's a little bit worried about having to move to Virginia. <laughs> so. <laughs> I don't, I don't think so. I'm pretty yeah. pretty rooted here, and uh, you know I better stick with coon sure, hunting. Sure, a little bit of a flatter ground, maybe. But uh, I'm definitely going to try to go back. Uh, uh, you know, if Heath will have me, I, he's already invited me back. So, well, you know, that, he's a back. very gracious, accommodating guy. He is so, for sure. Uh, that that culture, you know, that the, I call it just the bear hunting culture. Uh, you know, when I went down to Greenville, uh, you know, I could I could see it there. And, uh, you know, it, they're serious about that. You know, the East Tennessee and North Carolina, uh, oh, yeah. Virginia, West Virginia, you know, it's uh, it's alive and it's really thriving there. And, uh, that, you know, that, that appeals to me. Well, yeah, it is. And uh, and thank goodness the bear population and to the credit of those guys. I remember yeah. 
uh, before COVID, uh, it was a couple of years there that Heath and the group of guys there that you met and all, they treed more than 50 bears from the beginning of the of the uh, training season until the end of the kill season. And yeah. I know one year out of those 50 bears, they killed 10, and they were all males. Yeah, they they haven't treated bear this year that they're that they wanted to kill. Of course, yeah, you know they got the kill season coming up. I think they had and nobody wanted to kill one, but they I think they got uh, one of them had a, a younger son or something that was going to kill one, and mm-hmm. they're just trying to find something you know big enough for him to kill. They said they weren't going to kill any sales at all, you know, just to protect the bears and and you know. Yeah. Well, I think there have not all parties have been like that, and I think there's been some sows killed, you know, across yeah. the state, where the numbers have been down a little bit the last couple of years, and I yeah. think it's going to pr- possibly affect their early season, uh, you know, going forward and so forth. But uh, uh, yeah, the, these guys take care of their sport. It yeah. means the world to them, and they treat it that way, you know. Yeah. And they're very conservation-minded and very uh, concerned about, uh, uh, you know, the future. Right. So, uh, and that goes, you know, I'm thankful for my heritage because, you know, that's the that's the culture that I grew up in. Uh, you know, my dad hunted bears for over 50 years and you know he that was his sport that was his game it consumed him it the dogs he loved his plot dogs uh, but you know I grew up around those kind of people and it and I can see you know I know where their hearts are and yeah. I, I just uh, wish them Many, many years. Uh, most all those guys are younger than I am by a considerable uh, amount. And I just hope that they can continue to enjoy that sport for many, many years to come. Yeah, you know, when I was down at the breed days at Greenville, I saw a lot of, you know, those old houndsmen. And, and they reminded me of, you know, some of the, the people that grew up, you know, when I was growing up around the community, that you know, the dog traders and the and the hunters and uh, you know yeah. you used to be a lot of this old country stores and you walk in sure. and, you know they'd be back there and you know talking dogs or whatever but uh you know there's not many of them left they're about all gone now that's around true here. you and know i met that, roy yeah. roy clark down there and i talked to him a few minutes and what a jewel uh, what yeah, a yeah, he, jewel he is i love yeah, to, to i loved uh, i don't think Roy get mad at me but uh, I love to kind of talk like Roy sometimes. Now, yeah. Steve, that bar, that bar went up there in the Gulf. It's where <laughs> they treat that bar that day. <laughs> yeah, as Clay Newcomb would say, and Roy says they they was over yonder. It's not yonder; it's yonder. <laughs> he loves Roy dearly, as you know. He'd said him many times. Oh yeah, podcast. what an amazing. Uh, human being, um, Mr. Roy. Yeah, yeah, I would love to say it's Roy. Yep, yep. It's, uh, as you say, you you just labeled it exactly right. It's a culture, 
And uh, it's a mountain culture pretty much. Now, the guys that are listening from out west, they'll say, well, we have our own brand of that out this way, and I'm sure they do. And in Michigan, I was uh, uh, introduced to a whole different type of culture where they hunted off bait and so forth, you know, and I was fortunate to work with the bear hunters up there for many years with the Michigan Bear Hunters Association was on the board. And uh, just, you know, these these groups up in Maine and, and New England and, or, you know, Vermont, New Hampshire, all up in that area too. And uh, it's just something that's as American as apple pie and it needs to be preserved and and that's why it's so important that we stay aware. Clay Newcomb said, "Guard the gate," you know, yeah. uh, against uh, any of this uh, anti-hunting sentiment. Where people don't understand that culture, and they will never understand it until they do, like you do, did, uh, Jerry, yeah, and go right. experience it firsthand. Don't you agree? Yeah, yeah, I do agree. Uh, you know, hounds that. You know, not been my whole life, but it's been, they've been, a, you know, a big part of my life. And, uh, you know, they're certainly not the most important thing in my life, but uh, they are very important to me. Yes. And, uh, uh, you know, it's, you know, Heath and them are the same way that, you know, those bird dogs are are a very important part of the, you know, it's not like I say, it's, you know, their families are more important than the hounds. And there's a few things that are more important, but, but the hounds are definitely important. Yeah, they definitely are, and that's exactly the way I was raised. That's the way my father was, and and naturally I I followed along, you know, in in his footsteps. And uh, well, long live the bear hunters! And yeah. uh, it looks like there's plenty of them out there. My brother lives about two hours west of Heath. And he's eat up with bears around where he lives. Okay, uh, I saw I saw Bickley, West Virginia. That's where you're from, right? That's where I was born. Yes, my brother and I were born in Beckley. Right. So, your where does your brother live at? He lives in Taswell, Virginia. Taswell. Okay. Yeah, and that's oh, about ninety miles from Beckley. You go south from Beckley on Interstate seventy seven to Princeton. Then, okay. then you're familiar with Route 460. I'm sure you traveled on yeah. it. Uh, well, you take 460 to the west instead of going east toward Heath. Yeah, okay. And uh, he lives back in that area there. And uh, got, uh, you know, mountains all around. And uh, yeah. And then, of course, oh, Keston, but- my buddy that you met at Autumn Oaks and all, he yeah. lives in Lebanon, which is about... Oh, 45 minutes or so on further west from my brother. Okay. So it's all the same part of the world. Yeah, I would have loved to, you know, hooked up with Kissing and Coonland when I saw that. Uh, that uh, Coon vending machine. Coon vending machine. Clyde got snake bit a couple nights it ago. Is. Uh, Copperhead, yeah, got him on the back leg right in, in the hawk. Yeah, well, he, no, that's a bad place to get it. Yeah, yeah. He's a little sore, but he's going to survive. He, I wouldn't doubt if Ketson doesn't have him out tonight. <laughs> Knowing him, he can't stay home. Well, Jerry, I think we've about shined this tree for this week. 
But I sure do, uh, like Heath invited you to come back, I'm going to do the same. Yeah, I, sure. think, I think we got a lot to talk about. And uh, yeah. I want to talk to you about some of that Kentucky coon hunting and some of the dogs that you've hunted with and all that stuff. So if if you'll agree, we'll do this again. We will. Sounds great. Folks, Jerry Barker from Nancy, Kentucky. Uh, it's been a real privilege to have Jerry on the program today. I want to uh, briefly congratulate the winners at the UKC World Hunt, the Cookie Dog, the, the winners at the PKC, the Super Stakes. Uh, it's a shame all that got held on the same weekend. I hope the registries will kind of get their heads together and separate that stuff out a little bit. Also, the PKC Youth World. And all. I don't have all those names in front of me, so I don't want to mess it up. But let's just say congratulations to all those winners. I know you worked hard all year to get to that point, and you should certainly be proud. Well, folks, that's it uh, for this week. If anyone asks you where Steve Fielder, tell him why he went over there to Nancy, Kentucky. He's over there hunting around those tobacco farms and stuff with Jerry Barker. He's gone to the dogs. Mm-hmm.